Today's year begins at the second line from the top of the Tes Vov. Before we begin the actual Gemara text, we glance at the side where we have a Nivne, a structural note, and we indicate that this marking scheme continues till Omid Bays. We're not going to spend too much time in today's shiur giving an introduction because we're relying very heavily on your being familiar with the Gemara at the end of our previous shiur. But our Mivneh structural note highlights the diamond marking that you see at the opening of our Gemara, and they represent Kushos al Rebbe Huda. These will be challenges to Rebbe Huda. HaGemara Mevia Makoros, the Gemara will bring forth sources, Shemarim, that show Shemuter Laodom, Laasos Hapuula, Sheolov Yishayev, a person is allowed to do the action, the activity, that he potentially will be guilty of violation of of, uh, of a netter im yavor out hatnai if he should violate the stipulation or the condition. Why do we allow a person to let us say get him get himself into potential trouble? Why is that? Because we're not nervous, we're not worried that the person will be lax with regard to observing, uh, adhering to the stipulations, to the conditions. Of course, if you're familiar with the end of our previous year, this will make this will have made very uh, good sense. So now we turn to the Gemara, the diamond indicating a question on Rav Yuda. Rav Yuda's approach was, as we just implied, that he is concerned with people not being careful with regard to observing the uh, the, the the conditions, the stipulations. And so let's see, we have a source, says Tnan, Kainem, uh, oh, by the way, note that this is a very long question, it takes us down, more than halfway down the page, as our marking indicates. Tnan, Kainem, Shani Yoshein, Shani Mahalef, Shani Medaber, and the result of that was Harei Ze Below Yachel. The word Konam is indicative of someone accepting a uh, restriction, a, it's a, an expression referring to a vow. Uh, in, in, and in this context, it might be understood as a shvua. Hechidomi. What are the circumstances of behind this guy's uh, vowing? If we're going to leave it as it is, sheani yoshei the word konam, technically speaking, means a vow, a neder. Does a neder apply to actions? Here he's making a neder uh, regarding uh, sleep. He's, he's saying he's saying that he, he's he's uh, vowing not to sleep. But neder nedorim do not apply to things that are actions. They apply to articles to uh, physical items to limbs 
V'hotnan, have we not learned, Choymer b'shvus, Shashvus cholos, Aldover sheyesh bo mamesh, Aldover sheein bo mamesh. We know that shvus, oaths, have a, a greater uh, application, greater stringency associated with oaths over vows, in so far as oaths, shvuos, affect whether it's items that have substance to them, or even things that are not physical, as as is the case with an action. As opposed to Nidorim, that's Masha'en came with Nidorim, uh, Nidorim, as the word Konam would indicate, that we're dealing with a neder, with a vow. Nidorim don't have any effect on things that are non-physical. Vishina, the issue of sleep, it's in the category of something that's not an, an item, an actual article. It's something that has no substance. It's an action. Ella, so what must be? The person focused the vow on his eyes. The eyes are a limb of a person, and as such, they are a mamish, and the vow can take effect. However, we're still not clear yet on things. As the Gemara points out, the Ida Lo Yohiv Shiura, if he didn't give a limitation to the vow of non sleep, Mi Shafkinon Le Ad Ovar Isur Bal would we allow the person to continue uh, to, to utter such a vow until he actually falls asleep, which is an inevitability when you're dealing with people? If a person would swear that he's not going to sleep for three days, we lash him for violating a shvuas shav, for violating a a um, meaningless oath, for uttering a meaningless oath, and he has the option of going to sleep immediately. The idea of swearing not to sleep. And even if you associate it, or assign a time frame of three days, no one can possibly stay awake for three full days. Elo, the Omar, in order for the uh, vow concerning non-sleep to make sense, it must have been the following. Just a detail before we continue in the Gemara. The Ran explains that when the Gemara had said Malkinus of Yoshin Lealter, a vow that's uh, open-ended, that he restricts his eyes from sleep, is not a vow that would even take effect. It's it's a meaningless statement. So we continue in the Gemara. Ella Omar. So what what did take place? Kainim Einai Bashina Lamochar Im Ishan Hayom. So the case would be where he prohibits his eyes from sleep tomorrow if he sleeps today. So the actual vow concerns tomorrow's sleep. When would tomorrow's sleep even become an issue? If he sleeps today. The Gemara says, now that can't be the case though. Ho Amris, but we already said, and this was what we saw at the top line was the last point we saw in yes in our previous shiur. We already said kol be isure 
Mizdaher. When it comes to tomorrow's sleep as being the subject of the vow, there won't be any possibility, there won't be a chance of his coming to Baal Yachel because he will be very careful. That was the, the, the principle that we lay down at the top line. That's why you see arrows to the side of the Gomorrah text. When it comes to the Isura, the actual uh, vow itself, the actual vow concerns tomorrow's sleep. Well, when tomorrow comes, you're going to rest assured he's not going to go to sleep. So that wouldn't be the subject of the Mishnah, the Mishnah where the diamond appeared, which had concluded Harezeh below Yachel. El Apshita, so rather, what must be the case of the Mishnah? Diomar Koinim Enai Bashino Hayoim Im Ishan Lomohar. He prohibits his eyes from sleep today if he sleeps tomorrow. V'i Dolonayim Hayom, if you're going to follow the approach of Rav Yehuda, now what would Rav Yehuda have said about a case like this where he says, Remember Rav Yehuda said people aren't going to be so careful when it comes to maintaining or, or adhering to conditions. So what would Rav Yehuda have told this guy? He says, you know what, you better not sleep today. Because I'm not so sure that you're that if you if we would allow you to sleep today, that you're going to be very careful with the with the non-sleeping tomorrow. So the Gemara says, if Rav Yudah's approach is correct, that we don't let him sleep today, kinayim lomachar my bayachel devaruika. If he does go to sleep tomorrow, what neder violation is there? The neder is in this case with regard to today's sleep. If he doesn't sleep today, then even if he does sleep tomorrow, where is there any evidence of Baal Yachil? Baal is the prohibition of violating a netter. But according to Rav Yehuda's scheme, there's not going to be any netter violation. In order for level 4, for case 4, to uh, come to a netter violation, it must be that we allow him to sleep today. And we rely on him being careful not to sleep tomorrow. In other words, we rely on him to be careful with regard to the Tanai. Alma, the result of all of this is, Isay, Denayim, we, there is sleeping today, Utyufta the Rav Yehuda. This would be a refutation of Rav Yehuda. The double underline is explained on the side under the Mivneh heading. Tyufta or Kashio al Rav Yehuda. These are uh, points in the Gemara where the uh, challenge to Rav Yehuda comes to a head. Because, as we said, we'll just repeat, Rav Yehuda said we don't let him sleep today because he might not adhere to the Tanai. But if we don't let him sleep today, there's no bal yachel. There's no, there's no possibility of coming to a vow violation. The Gemara answers ki kotoni the Mishnah that says uh, 
Harezid below Yachel, that's the E Nayim. If he violated my ruling, says Rav Yehuda. Take a look at the Rashi. You'll notice a few lines down in the Rashi, there's a star that we've drawn into the Rashi. Omar Loch Rav Yehuda. Hachi Kotani Masnisen. Thusly, one should understand the Mishnah. Kainim Einai Bishino Hayoim Imishan Lomachar. De Osir Kinayim Lomachar. De Inayim Meesmol De Evet. Avolichatchila Ein Manichen Oisoy Lishan Hayom. De Chayshinon Shemo Yishan Lomachar. So Rashi explains what Ravuda is telling us is that the Mishnah is saying that one who banned his eyes uh, through a vow with regard to today's sleep, if he should sleep the next day, there will be a violation of the vow if he sleeps tomorrow, if he had slept today. But notice, if he had slept today. But as far as the preferred approach, says Rav Yudah, the Mishnah itself acknowledges, like I say, he shouldn't lechatchila sleep today. Ravina, a second approach, Omar, li'oilom kidikotoni. Leave the Mishnah text as it is, namely, kainim shani yoshem. Ah, we ask, if you leave it as it is, shani yoshem, as opposed to well, sleep is a Dover Shein Mamish. How could the source then go on to say that there is the uh, there's, there would be a violation of of uh, a neder when there isn't any neder to begin with? So the Gemara explains my Bal Yachel. What does Baal of the Mishnah mean? Midorabonan, a rabbinic uh, vow violation. But on a Torah level, that is true. There is no vow violation because Kainim Shani Yoshein is a neder on something that's not physical. It's on, uh, it refers to sleep. Gemara asks, "Umi iko bal yachel midrabonan? Is there such a thing as a rabbinic bal yachel?" Gemara answers in yes, v'hatanya, and support to this. Dvorim amutarim, v'achim noagbo and iser, things that are by letter of the law allowed, but but others accepted upon themselves a restriction. Iatorashoi lahatiron b'fneim, you cannot practice openly in front of them things practices or behaviors that they accepted upon themselves uh, a restriction. And the basis of that is don't violate uh, what they have accepted. That of course is a rabbinic take on things because you can see we've indicated that you're dealing with things that are actually allowed and still we're telling you not to do them because these are practices or customs in a place where they accepted restriction upon themselves. So you see this idea of lo yachel dvoro, though it's a posik in the Torah, is a reference to something rabbinic. Tanan, a second challenge to Rabbi Huda. 
konam she'at nehenesli. Uh, I added the word konam because that's what precedes that which the Gemara itself presents in the text. But the uh, husband had said uh, to his wife that uh, you will be prohibited for me to benefit from konam shatnenisli ad pesach any benefit that I would receive from you uh, till Pesach im teilchi lebeis ovich an hachag so imagine he's standing in the uh, the month of Ador a month before Pesach and he says that I he, he restricts himself uh, in in nether terms from any benefit he would receive from his wife until Pesach if and here's the condition if she goes to her father's house until Ad Hachag until Sukkot six months later in other words the whole time period for the condition to operate is from now till Sukkot Holcha lefnei ha-Pesach asura b'han osoi ad ha-Pesach. If she uh, went to her father's house before Pesach, then he cannot benefit from her until Pesach. That's as far as the source is concerned. Holcha lefnei ha-Pesach asura. Just a technical uh, adjustment. Uh, the husband is preventing his wife from receiving any benefit from him until Pesach, if she should go to her father's house until Sukkot. So the source said, if she were to go to the father's house, uh, if she should actually go to the father's house before Pesach, so she cannot get any benefit from the husband until Pesach. She's already, by going to her father's house, she's activated the neder. She's put the neder into motion. And the neder says, the vow says that she is not entitled to receive any benefit from her husband un, uh, until Pesach. So the Gemara's point points out that if she in fact went to her father's house before Pesach, so that activated the Neder and no Hanah can be enjoyed from uh, from her husband. However, lo holcha lo. That means as long as she has not gone to her father's house, she is entitled to benefit from her husband. But isn't there the fear, isn't there a condition here that she might go to her father's house up till Sukkot time? And bear in mind, if she should go to her father's house any time up till Sukkot, retroactively all benefits that she was receiving from her husband would constitute a violation of the vow. And yet... We're not worried about that. The only time we say she cannot benefit is if she actually goes to her father's house. But as long as she hasn't actually gone to her father's house, we're not worried she might come to violate the condition. 
That's a question, that's a problem for Rav Yehuda. The Gemara answers, Omer Yehuda, That means, if she actually goes to her father's house before Pesach, and benefited from her husband, she will get lashed for that benefit. If she has not gone to her father's house, then we will tell her Asura Bialma. It nevertheless is still Asur for her to benefit from her husband until Pesach. Because we are worried she might go to her father's house up till Sukkot's time. Just like Rav Yehuda. So all the source was talking about when it said uh, that means that it, that that isur that isur hano referred to is an isur that will lead that will result in actual lashings, being that she actually had gone to her father's house. But just to repeat ourselves, if she hasn't gone to her father's house. Uh, up till Pesach, never said that entire time period we will not allow her to uh, enjoy benefits from her husband because she might end up going to her father's house up till Sukkis. The Gemara continues, Ema Seifa. This is introduced as a third question on Rebuta. What does it say in the Seifa? Achar HaPesach, that means if she went to her father's house, after Pesach, Bebal Yachel Dvoro, she is in violation of the vow. <laughs> but the Dolo is Hani, Lefnea Pesach, if you're going to accept Rav Yehuda's approach as Rabbi Abba explained the source, namely that prior to Pesach we will not have allowed her to receive any benefit from her husband, then mi'iko bal yachel, how could there be any vow violation? Bal yachel is the pasuk lo yachel dvoro. What, what vow violation would, would there have been? El hani. In order to understand the seifah, it must be that we're describing a woman that had received benefit from her husband. And therefore, if she goes to her father's house after Pesach, prior to Sukkis, and so, so there, of course, there is a vow violation. But what's the point for us? Al-Momishani, we see that we do allow her to uh, derive benefit from her husband before Pesach having relied on her being careful not to go to her father's house. We continue at the top of Omid Bey's Utyufta de Rav Yehuda. And again, this would be a refutation of Rav Yehuda. Rav Yehuda answers, Ki Kotani, the source, is telling us a case, De'i ishani, hare ze bebal yachel devoro. If she had benefited from her father, from her husband, not that we allow her to benefit from her husband. We don't. Because, as Rav Yehuda said, we are worried she might violate the condition. <laughs> if she didn't 
adhere to our teaching and she did benefit from the husband before Pesach. So of course, if she goes to her father's house after Pesach uh, before Sukkot, she will retroactively be in violation of Lo Yachel Devoro. However, the Gemara is insistent on asking another question. So you see the second line from the top of Omid Bey's question number four. Tanan. Again, we add the word konam in order to uh, appreciate the case a little more. Konam sha'at nanesli ad hachag. Im teuchi lebeisovich ad hapesach. The husband prevents through a vow from uh, uh, prevents his wife from benefiting from him until Sukkis if she goes to her father's house up till Pesach. So here the condition of uh, not going to father's house is uh, a shorter period of time. She's restricted in visiting her father's house up till Pesach. The vow period will will cover though uh, from now till all the way till Sukkot. Halchalifnei ha-Pesach asura bahana'osoi anachag if she went to her father's house before Pesach, so she will not be allowed to benefit from her from her husband until Sukkis. She'll be allowed to go to her father's house after Pesach. The whole restriction of her visiting her father's house was only up till Pesach. Now, we take note of this source. Holcha Asura, the source said that uh, if she uh, went to her father's house before Pesach, if she actually went to her father's house, so then she's not allowed to benefit from her husband. Lo holcha, lo. If she didn't actually go to her father's house, we allow her to derive benefit from her husband. Even though there is, a, there is a fear that she might, in fact, go to her father's house. So what do we see from here? We allow her to derive benefit, relying on her being careful about adhering to the conditions. That is not like Rav Yehuda. The Gemara responds, Omar Rava, who hadin lo holcha asura. The truth is, is that even if she doesn't, if she hadn't gone to her father's house, we still would restrict her from benefiting from her husband, like Rav Yehuda. But as far as the source is concerned, holcha, if she actually went to her father's house prior to Pesach. Asura Voloka. She is forbidden to benefit from her husband, and if she does, she will be subject to lashes because that's an actual violation of the neder. Lo holcha. If she didn't, if she doesn't go to her father's house, if she hadn't gone to her father's house yet before Pesach, Asura Biyamo. In accordance with Rav Yehuda, we would tell her, do not benefit from your husband. Again, let me just repeat that last point. Do not benefit from your husband because you might end up violating the terms, the condition of not going to visit your father till Pesach. Meisvei. Again, 
a challenge to Rabbi Huda. Kikar zu alai hayom im elech lemokum ploni lemachar. So the vow concerns a particular loaf. He ex- he vows that the loaf shall be pr- prohibited to him uh, today if he ends up going to such a such and such a place tomorrow. Ochal hareze beval yelech. Uh, upon eating the loaf, he is now restricted to go to the uh, that that place tomorrow. Now the the thinking right now is is that from this source we see that it's mutter for a person to eat the loaf, and he will be careful to adhere to the condition of not going to that place tomorrow. That would be a challenge to Rav Yehuda. Because Rav Yehuda's approach to such a case would be, listen, don't eat the loaf today. You know why? Because we're afraid you might not adhere to the condition and end up going to that such and such place tomorrow. The Gemara responds, Does the source say Go ahead, lechatchila, and eat the loaf because we're so confident that you will adhere to the condition. The source speaks about a person who post facto happened to eat the loaf. If he violates what we would have told him and he did eat the loaf, then then he is certainly uh, prohibited from going to that such and such place tomorrow. But lechatchila, but as a first choice, we would tell him, don't eat the loaf today because we are concerned. We're worried you might not adhere to the condition, as Rav Yehuda teaches. And finally, number six. Holach hareze beval yachel devoro. This is a question on Rav Yehuda. According to Rav Yehuda, the person would not have eaten the loaf the previous day. Now, if he had not eaten the, previ- the loaf the previous day, so then why on the morrow, when he goes to that place, is he in violation of anything? So what do we see from here? That we allowed him to eat the loaf the previous day. Not like Rabbi Huda. We have to keep reading another two words in the Gemara to really see the impact the impact of this question. The source says, Holach Mehalech Lo. It doesn't say go ahead and go there tomorrow. Whereas according to Rav Yehuda, who would have forbidden the eating of the loaf the day before, the source could have read, Mehalech, he is able to go to such and such place the next day because he would not have eaten the loaf on the previous day. The Kashil Rav Yuna. From this source, we see once again a problem for Rav Yuna because according to Rav Yehuda, we would have been able to teach Mehalech, Lamokomploni, Omar Loch Rav Yehuda. Rav Yehuda responds. 
Huadin de Lisni Mehalech. Truth is, is that a person who had said Kikazu Alai Hayom, Imelech Lemokom Poni Lemochar, we would have been able to tell him Mehalech Lemokom Poni because he would not have eaten it the day before. Why does the source use the term Holach, which is only post facto and not Lechatchila? So Rav Yudah says, it could have taught Mahalech. However, Aidi de Katani Reisha, Ochal, since the Reisha speaks about a person who had eaten the loaf the day before, the Lomisni Le Ochel, it couldn't have taught in the source, go ahead and eat Lechatchila, because according to Rav Yudah, he is not supposed to eat on, the, on that day, on the Hayom. Therefore, to keep the language balance, Tani Seifa Holach. Just to repeat that once again, since in the Reisha it says, Ochal Hare Ze Beval Yelech, the Seifa uh, uses a similar verb form, past tense, Holach Hare Ze Beval Yachel Devoro. But the source could have said, Mehalech the next day, because technically speaking, he will not have eaten the loaf on the day before, in compliance with Rav Yehuda. As we go on, we have a quote from the Mishnah. The uh, topic heading that we see on the side under the Nosei reads, Koinem Tashmishi Olecha. A woman vows to prevent her husband from benefiting from intimacy that she has with him. The Meshubad Law. She's Meshubadis to him. In fact, we will see. This is a two-way street. This uh, topic heading could just as well read, where a husband tries to prevent his wife, uh, restrict his, his wife from benefiting from his uh, intimacy with her. The netter doesn't get off the ground because he is bound to her. The Gemara. A man says to his wife, uh, through uh, a vow that he will not provide her with uh, intimacy. Well, if he does, so then he's in violation of the vow. The Gemara asks, how can he be in violation of a vow that doesn't even get started? From this Pesach, without getting into the details and the background of the Pesach, from this Pesach we learn that a husband must provide his wife with Ona. Ona is intimacy. So, he can't vow not to provide her with something that he is previously obligated to do. So why is it that a man who says to his wife, I, pro- I pro- prohibit you through a vow from benefiting from in- my intimacy? So the Gemara answers, Oimer, the husband phrases it the, in the following fashion. Hanoas tashmisheich olai. The ha 
He vows regarding himself not to benefit from the tashmish, from the intimacy that she has with him. So it's a very, there's a very fine difference, but it makes all of the difference. He cannot project upon her prohibition from tashmish. He is obligated to provide her with tashmish. However, he can he he is able to restrict himself from the enjoyment of having the intimacy that he's obligated to provide to her. So now as a result of the intimacy that he will have to provide for her, he is thereby uh, getting himself into trouble because of the vow that he made. And when we have a situation like that, so one has to realize that there will be a prohibition, but there is also a vow that has set in. The uh, Rashi points out in the wide lines, The benefit, the pleasure that comes to me through intimacy that I have with you, is prohibited unto myself, unto me, as a vow. Rashi continues, He's able to prohibit himself from that pleasure, and there is a vow. And hence, in such a case, uh, though he may very well be obligated to provide her with the uh, intimacy, if, if he does have the intimacy with her, he will be in violation of the vow. The uh, Gomorrah goes on with an illustration of this from the opposite standpoint, from her standpoint, where we will see the vow of this, a vow of this nature takes effect. The Omar of Kahana. Tashmishi Olecha. Here the woman is the speaker, and she's saying that uh, the, uh, she's saying the intimacy uh, with uh, her husband is to be prohibited. Well, we say, we force her to have intimacy with him because she has no right to prohibit her husband from uh, from benefiting from intimacy with her. She's obligated to provide that for him. However, a woman who prohibits herself from enjoying the intimacy that she will have with her husband, that vow takes effect. We don't, literally means, we don't feed a person something that is prohibited to him. Now, so what's the result of this? We, let's take a look at Rashi. She prohibits herself from benefiting from the intimacy. So that husband is not allowed to have uh, intimacy with her because in effect he's going to be causing her to be in violation of her vow and he has to absolve her of that vow. 
We don't feed a person something that's prohibited to him. Vanos tashmisho asura oleho. The benefit that she has from the intimacy she that uh, her husband provides to her is forbidden to her. Hochinami so too in our original case. Ki omar hanos tashmisheich olai. When the husband says the pleasure I get from your intimacy that you that you have with me, vade have neder. It is certainly a vow. The oser. And it's, it's prohibited for him then to have intimacy with her, but nay, because he is having pleasure from it. And he prohibited, he, he banned himself from having that pleasure. So, just to summarize this last discussion, we thought we had a confrontation between two forces. On the one hand, the, the vow not to provide. Uh, intimacy to one's spouse, that type of vow shouldn't be able to get off the ground because the spouse is obligated to provide that to their uh, partner. On the other hand, the Mishnah indicated that a vow concerning this uh, issue does get off the ground. So the Gemara explained it's, it all depends on how the vow is phrased. And in the final analysis, when a, a, when a partner in the married couple prohibits themselves from benefiting from the Tashmish, that kind of vow takes place, and the intimacy will there, therefore be prohibited, and immediate measures must be taken to absolve, to uh, rescind that particular vow. We have a Mishnah, which will take us till the uh, end of this particular Omid. Uh, uh, and then the Gemara continues at the top of Tes Zayan Aleph to f- uh, figure out who is the author of this Mishnah. The Mishnah says, Shvua She'eni Yoshen, She'eni Medaber, She'eni Mahalech. Also, person vows, or I should say he, he swears, he, he takes an oath uh, not to sleep, not to speak, not to walk. Usr means it is a binding shvua. And Rashi points out that shvuos take effect on non on the non-physical as well, on actions uh, as well as physical things. Korbon loy oicheloch, ha korbon sheoicheloch. Loi korbon, loi oichelach, mutter. These three expressions uh, would not result in a vow taking hold. It, it appears that had he said korbon oichelach, which is not one of the examples here, that that would be binding. This will be a point that will have relevance later on the Aftazayin with Beis in Amir Tzashem in our next year. Let us take a look at the Ran commentary that you find at the very bottom uh, line of the Ran uh, on the Mishnah. Korban lo'oycholoch ho korban she'oycholoch and the next is uh, Ran has here la korban, our girsa is lo korban lo'oycholoch mutter. Mishum, the Omar, Korbon, Loy Ocholoch, 
the first expression here, when he says, Korbon lo ocholoch, the Ran continues at the top of Tezayinam at Aleph, I amrinon tebechaye korbon mishtaba, if you say that this is a, a vow in the life of the sacrifice, Shari, that type of, of uh, vow doesn't get started. The korban lav barash debuyahu. A korban is not something that you can take a, um, is not something that lends itself to an oath. Vyamrinon, and if you interpret the expression as the korban yehei ma if you take these words and say and, and understand them as the fellow was saying it shall be a korban a korban is a sacrifice something that is um, sanctified something that's prohibited so prohibited shall be that which I do not eat from you so what's being what is being banned? That which I don't eat from you is being banned. So things everything is allowed. Delo shavi isur korban yochal. That which he doesn't eat is made usur, but that which he does eat is allowed. So that's why the Mishnah says regarding the first phrase korban lo ochalach is mutter. Either it's not an expression of a Shvua, or it just doesn't reflect any pro- any restriction to begin with. The next phrase of the Mishnah, Ha Korban Shochalach, the Ran explains, Nami Shari. If a person says that phrase, Ha Korban Shochalach, that's allowed, Dechaye Korban Komar. He's, he's uh, swearing in the life of the Korban. People speak like that, but it doesn't have any meaning. Uh, let us skip the bracketed section that we have written into the, that we've drawn into the Ran, to skip down to number three. Le korbon, or lo korbon, lo ochaloch, nami shari, the that expression, the Ran's girsa is not exactly like our Mishnah. We had the word lo. The Ran has a lamid, but he reads it with a pasach. The kevon the balamid psucha komar la korban We've seen this quite often in the past. It really is lo korban mashma. So non, uh, not a korban. I will not be uh, eating from you. And, and, and there isn't any room to say here that, well, let's from the negative infer the positive, which would be that which I do eat from you shall be prohibited. The Gemara will be setting up our Mishnah like Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir Holesle Michlalava Toshomein, as we've seen so many times before. Rabbi Meir doesn't accept that method of drawing conclusions of inference. According to Rabbi Meir, 
if you want to present a topic in a in the negative and in the positive, you don't leave things for inference, but you spell both sides out, which our Mishnah did not do. The Gemara continues now at the top of Tezayin and Aleph, Moni Masnisin. Who is the author of our Mishnah? Rebbe Meir He. The Mishnah is in accordance with Rebbe Meir. The Rebbe Huda. If if it were in accordance with Rebbe Huda, Lo Shoni Lei Korban, Velo Shoni Lei Ha Korban. Uh, Rav Yudah would make no distinction between Korban versus HaKorban. In order to appreciate this, uh, we should look at Rashi on Tesvavamit Bey's Dibramasal Lo Korban. So let's together read the Rashi there. Lo Korban, Lo Ochalach, Mashma. Bishvil Isur Koomar Korban Lo Ochaloch Sheim Ochaloch Leheve Osro Like Korban. The uh, person's goal here was to impose a restriction, and what he is saying, therefore, not a Korban, that which I don't eat from you, which implies that that which I do eat from you should be unto me like a Korban. Umutr, the Mishnah ruled that it's mutter the time of the Rabbi Meir, the less lav, as we explained just before in the Ran. So that the Mishnah, you can see, is in accordance with Rabbi Meir, because in order to uh, to come up with with a restriction, he would have had to spell out korban she'ochaloch. The Rabbi Yehuda, if you were to think that our mission is in accordance with Rabbi Yehuda, Bein Omar Korban She'oichaloch, Bein Omar Ho Korban She'ochel, Betravayu Mati Rabbi Yehuda. Now bear in mind, our Mishnah did not say Korban She'oichaloch Mutter. That was not one of the examples. And we pointed this out when we were learning the Mishnah, that had he said Korban Shocholach, that would have been Usr. But according to Rabbi Yehuda, whether he says Korban Shocholach, or Ho Korban Shocholach, Betravayu Matir Rabbi Yehuda, Filu Omar, Korban Shocholach, Kedamrinon, Bepirk and Deliel, as we said in the previous parak, Korban HaKorban, Kid Korban Shocholach, Usr, and we said Moni Rabbi Meirhi. That is, that teaching is in a law is in accordance with Rabbi Meir. The lo shoni imra imra. Rabbi Meir made no distinction whether there was a prefix or not. To the Rabbi Yehuda, korban mutter. According to Rabbi Yehuda, in order for the nether to take hold, you would have to say kit korban. You'd have to have had a prefix kit korban mutter. So after all said and done, there's a great deal of we'll say reading between the lines or inferring things from the Mishnah in order to come to this conclusion that our Mishnah is in accordance with Rabbi Meir. So to repeat the, the uh, proof of the Gemara, that at the end of the Mishnah we had seen uh, several phrases involving Korban, but, and they were all mutar, there was no vowel that set in. However, had it said Korban Ochelach, that would have been a binding vowel. And that 
Again, that wasn't spelled out, but we're inferring that. And that inference shows us that the Mishnah is in accordance with Rebbe Meir. Because according to Rebbe Yehuda, even an expression like Korban She'ochalach would, that would not be binding because of the lack of the prefix. The Gemara continues after uh, having uh, arrived at the, uh, the thinking that our Mishnah is in accordance with Rebbe Meir. Amos Seifat La Korban that was what we saw in the Mishnah. We've seen this in another Mishnah in the past, that if a person says, Rabbi Meir holds that that is a vow. How is that a vow? If a person says what's in the frame, it's understood to be as follows. That unto me, the, the food uh, should be a korban, and therefore, I cannot eat from your food. So therefore, the safe of our Mishnah, why if it's in accordance with Rebbe Meir, why is the result mutter when he says le korban lochalach why isn't it understood as le korban yehe and therefore lo ochalach lo kashya there isn't any contradiction here ha diomar le korban ha diomar loy le korban the lo have a korban komar the uh, mishnah uh, uh, namely, our Mishnah is to be understood or to be read as loy le korban lo ochelach. There, he's spelling out uh, in, in, in no uncertain terms, not a korban. That's the lo havi korban. So there's no. So the only way to come to some type of restriction there would be through inference, and we've already explained before that, according to Rebbe Meir, we don't achieve, we don't arrive at any uh, conclusions through inference. The source where Rebbe Meir, where it said Rebbe Meir Oser, that's because he didn't say low carbon; he says the carbon. And that leaves room for Rabbi Abba's interpretation, namely, le korban yehei, therefore, lo ochelach. Le korban can be understood as, in the positive, it shall be as a korban, therefore, the, that which I eat from you will be prohibited. With that, we conclude our shiur for today.